welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, everyone. So we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, Usually we start by reading scripture, and I'm going to read the scripture as we preach today just because I wanted to do something a little different for the new year. Um, So today's kind of a one-off. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 19, so if you can go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 19, and then next week we will actually slide right back into our Hebrew study and start working through that, okay? So let me pray and then tell you why I'm doing this. God, thank you so much for who you are. We're grateful to be here. We're grateful for, once again, just a warm place to be in. Lord, we do acknowledge that there's many who don't have a warm place, and so I pray that you would uh, bring them to us, Lord, that we might love them and provide what they need. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us this morning, Lord. Um, We pray that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted, and Lord, ultimately help us to leave here different than when we came in all for the glory of Jesus, and we pray in his name, amen. Okay, so Psalm 19, well, so we've got a new year here. Um, I've never been a guy that loved New Year's resolutions. I don't have an issue with New Year's resolutions, it's just not something that I ever really participated in. What I realized that as a young kind of guy is that uh, when I was growing up, every time I committed to a New Year's resolution, it usually lasted through about halfway through February, and then I was done right? And that's typically how it works. So if you go to the gym, we know that this month's going to be crazy in the gym. Just wait it out a little bit. Come mid-February, it'll be empty again, and we'll be good to go. So we kind of seem to have these things. But what I do like about the new year, for me, is it's a good time come from a humanistic standpoint to reflect on what transpired last year, what's coming in the future. And then for me, it, it boils down to just kind of a recalibration of saying, all right, let's get back to what's simple. Um, Life is complex. The one thing that we know about life is, well, there's a couple things, but we know that we're always going to have trouble. Like you can, you you had trouble in 23, there's going to be trouble in 24. We know that you're going to have people moving in and out of your life. Um, You're going to meet new people. You're going to have old friends move away. We know that things change constantly. People move. We live in this neighborhood called East Boston. And I mean, I have pretty much told everybody at this point, man, if you live in East Boston, even as a church, we tend to have people for about a year, right? And then they're off to in their next thing. And so we know that things change. That's a constant. Things are constantly changing. We know that there's trouble. We know that you're going to have moments of unexpected joy. Something's going to happen this year that's going to be unexpected, and you're going to be like, wow, I didn't see that coming, and it is like the greatest thing ever, because you had something like that in 2023, I'm sure, as well. And so when it comes to processing through all of the changes that can come, all of the hurt that can come, all of the joy that can come, and we try to look ahead at like, what is 2024 going to be? It can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, We think about 2023 and you think about all of the things that were successes and we celebrate those. We think about the failures that we had and we lament those. Say, okay, how can I do this better? And so my goal today is to kind of go, let's, we understand all of that. Like that's just being alive as a human being, living in synchronous world, synchronous bodies. But if we kind of set all of that aside and say, what is the simplicity coming back to the beginning of the beginning of this year? What is the simplicity of how we're supposed to view our life in light of our creator 
And this is what Psalm 19 does for me. It's my favorite Psalm. I've preached this before here. It's been a while. But my hope is that as you're processing the past and you're thinking about the future, that this would be at the forefront of your mind in every way. And so I think as a church body, as believers, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, if this becomes the focus, especially at the beginning of the year, then we're gonna find that regardless of what transpires, if we intentionally focus on what it says here, then we're going to see Jesus glorified in our lives and the lives of others. And so, turn to Psalm 19. It begins this way. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All right, so the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What we're specifically talking about here, so this psalm was written by David. Um, I don't, I mean, we, we can look back and find times in his life that associate like the history of, of David when he was a king or when he was a boy, when he was a shepherd, when he was running for his life from Saul. And then we can look and, and associate the poetry that he wrote with certain times of his life. I don't know exactly when he wrote this. We have some guesses, but my gut tells me that it was kind of written over a period of time. And the thing that that David is looking at here is I picture this. You picture what you want, okay, in his life. I picture him being a boy, he's a shepherd, he's out in the field, he's kind of being lazy maybe on this day, maybe it's warm, he's laying on the grass, he's looking up at the sky and he's like, wow, that's big. You been there? Right, like there's moments when you just, you look up at something that is in creation and you go, whoa, this is so massive. And the emotion that comes over him is, wow, that expanse is huge. And I am so small. And then the proper response for an individual who is a God-fearer, a a Jesus follower, would be to be overwhelmed by God's creation and be overwhelmed by what he's going to describe here as God's glory. That his glory is displayed in the sky. We, from a theological standpoint, we call this God's general revelation. It means that God reveals himself to us through his creation. He created it. It's his. So we can look at creation and we can learn some things about God. We can learn that the same God, I've said this before, that created the bunny is the same God that created the great white shark. And that tells us some things. We can look at the sky and look at the expanse and the, the vastness of the stars and the massive, just, I mean, I don't even know how to say it, massive mass, massiveness of the sun and be overwhelmed by it. We can see something so beautiful. Like, you ever just, and this, I'm nerding out a little bit, but you're just walking and you see something in nature that catches your eye. It can be something so simple like a flower and you begin to study it and you're like, oh, wow. That is so beautiful. We had a party this week at our house for um, Nana, her birthday party, like family party, and there were these roses that were sitting on the table, and I was overwhelmed by how gorgeous these roses, roses were. And it immediately took my mind to, wow, my creator made those. Let me read this again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Picture those moments where you've experienced that. One of the things that's fascinating from a practical standpoint in those moments is several things happen. The complications of life seem to dwindle in those moments. Right? If you're stressed, 
or you're really feeling anxious about something and you take a walk and all of a sudden your mind gets captivated by something beautiful or the vastness of the sky or whatever it is. It's almost as if the anxiety can be relieved for a moment. The stress leaves and you're focused on something bigger than us. A lot of times in proper settings, you can walk away from that going, man, when I look at the scope, what I'm having anxiety over really isn't that big. And it creates this calming sense. There's something about remembering that we're not in control and that God is and that He's good that can calm us. And in this specific instance, David, I think, is overwhelmed by this understanding of his place in the universe, and he says it brings glory to God. What is glory? Glory is weight. Okay, it's the easiest way to describe it. It's what is what what you give glory to in your life is what weighs the most in your life. So whatever it is that you know you think what is what is being given glory in your mind, it's whatever is weighing on your mind. You are glorifying that. It says that in scripture all glory is to be given to God. All glory goes to him. So when we process this idea of glory, practically what we're what David is trying to remind us of is that the weightiest thing on our mind, the thing that should receive the most glory is God. And what's so cool about creation, and we're going to dive into this a little bit, is that you actually have the ability to do that at any point. You can walk out into creation and experience who God is and his glory. Scripture, Jesus talked about this, but Scripture talks about it. It's like, man, you don't have to worry about the birds being fed. I mean, you can get a bird feeder if you want. You can watch them feed. But it says that God feeds them. You can look at creation and say the sun still comes up. The earth is still rotating. We don't do anything to make that happen. You can even get more personal. At times of meditation, you might go, you know, sometimes you'll just say, focus on breathing. And then you realize, man, I can't actually control that. I can make my heart beat faster by running more. I can rest and make my heart beat slower, but I don't think about my heart beating on a constant basis. Can you imagine if we had to do that? It just happens. There's these systems in the world that the, the Lord has created that just function. And He's glorified by that. This idea that, I mean, we, if we're just talking 2024 and what's coming, you could end a sermon and just say, okay, let's talk about glory and what is it that you're going to have be the weightiest thing in 2024? What are you going to give the most glory to? Is it going to be the Lord or is it going to be something else? And the determination of that, and it doesn't have to be, you know, we say, well, I'm going to do that for 2024. I'm going to give glory to Jesus. But it's a moment-by-moment decision. It's a day-by-day choice. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His hand. And then He breaks into this beautiful understanding of creation. Day-by-day pours out speech and night-to-night reveals knowledge. You ever have those moments where you wake up in the morning and it's not happening now, but you hear the birds and they're already praising the Lord? Or maybe you're irritated and throw something at them? 
I have a story about this. When we first moved to Boston, we were, you know, we moved to East Boston, and here we had moved from basically what I consider the country in Bakersfield, California, to a major city in Boston. And one of our first nights, we were in this brand new apartment on, in Orient Heights, and we were woken up by a rooster. <laughs> and you want to talk about trying to be confused and what was going on and why is there a rooster in the middle of the city? At one point, day after day, we're getting woken up by a rooster and nobody knew where this rooster was or what was going on. And one day we actually had like a mob show up at our house with like baseball bats. And I'm like, I answer the door and they're like, is the rooster here? <laughs> we're like, no, but, and I don't know where it is, but they were on a hunt to find this thing, right? But the rooster, I mean, you even think about the rooster, it, it's uttering its speech constantly, right? Even when we don't want it to. Like, creation is constantly speaking. We get to a point where Jesus, at, at the moment of him coming into Jerusalem, right, triumphal entry, he actually declares that if you guys are silent, the rocks are going to cry out. But here's the thing, the rocks won't just cry out, they're constantly crying out. There's constant speech. We see it, we hear it, and if we're attuned to it, we get it. <laughs> day by day pours out speech, night Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I was processing through this, and I know what David's trying to say here, but it can sound confusing, especially in the poetic language. But the reality is this. What David is trying to portray to us is that creation won't stop declaring the goodness and the glory of the Lord and its creator no matter what we do. Every time we move into a place and we're looking at creation, we're looking at the glory of God, we're looking at what He's done, we look at each other, there's no denying that He is who He says He is. It is, it is glorifying to Him. There's supposed to be. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It doesn't matter where you are, God is there. And His creation is speaking to us. That's calming, isn't it? Like if you just meditate just for a moment on those words, it's very calming. There's something soothing about knowing that we're not in control. The greatest desire of mankind is to be in control and the greatest gift that we're given is we're not. Isn't that fascinating? Just keep reading. It says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. You ever tried to stop the sun from coming up? I've had moments when I wish it wouldn't, right? It's like, oh, I'm tired, and another day's coming, and man, I could use some more sleep. I wish it was dark longer, whatever it is, right? But we can't stop it. It's like a strong man that's going to come out. It's just, it's coming. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There was nothing hidden from its heat. There's nothing hidden from its heat. I mean, I know it may not feel that way today. But I, so I, I have a biology degree. I geek out on science, not as much as I used to, right? But when you study astronomy or astrology and you look at kind of all of this stuff, like people are into this stuff, right? 
when you study astronomy and you look at where the earth is placed in connection to the sun, the perfect distance, the way it rotates, how it moves, it's God has done some things scientifically that we describe that you go, whoa, it's perfect. It allows for life to exist. It allows for us to experience seasons. Any closer to the sun, they say we would burn up. Any further away from the sun, we would freeze. It's just, and it just sits there on its invisible axis doing what it does because God's in control of it. There's an old like children's song we used to sing. It's like, He's got the whole world in his hands, right? And you kind of picture, and as, you're, as you're a kid, you picture kind of God just holding the world and it's spinning and it's doing what it's supposed to do and you're just overwhelmed as a child with that. And it's, it's true. You know, he, Scripture tells us that he creates, he controls, he's sovereign just by his word. He, he sustains everything that we see just by his word the confidence that we can have in a creator that's able to make any change to hold the earth exactly where it needs to be just by his word. I think as David's laying in the field and he's looking at the sky and he's contemplating all of this, he's overwhelmed with the idea that he lives in a world that will refuse to deny its creator. And we have that ability at any moment, at any moment in 2024, when things get hard, when you're struggling, when you're in fear or doubt, you have the ability to see God perfectly in creation, to know that you're doing nothing to hold this world together and he's doing it all. To know that we're a, a small component, we get to participate in something that's beautiful. We play our part, he gives us things to do and it's, it's, it's awesome to have purpose but he's the one that does it all. There's a, a freedom in Christ that we get from that. David then moves on to something different. He's looking at general revelation, seeing God in Scripture. And general revelation is great. It can create emotions. It, it creates a sense of calm. It creates a sense of wonder. I, I hope that as you're processing this, you're going, you know, I don't know, when was the last time you were just overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God? Right? Where you literally just sat back and went, my God did that. I know that guy. Right? I know the one that made that. Where you're just overwhelmed by it. When's the last time you saw something be so beautiful in creation that made you cry? And in that, it became this spiritual experience of understanding and hearing from the Lord. But here's the thing about general revelation. It declares the glory of God, but it doesn't give us the specifics. You, in general revelation, you can look at creation and you, it says that you cannot deny that there's some sort of a creator. We try as human beings to do that, but ultimately it just goes, I'm always going to feel small. There's always this thing. I can't make it make sense in my head. It's massive. And we can go, oh, there's some sort of higher power out there. But it's not likely that somebody's going to go, oh, I'm looking at this tree or I'm looking at the stars and I'm sitting here and I'm in wonderment of the creation that's going on and I'm feeling the glory of God the Father and in that moment you go, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I need Jesus in my life. We need something more specific. 
And this is when we get to what we call special revelation, where God doesn't just speak in broad strokes, he literally gives us specific instruction on who he is. And David's gonna move in that direction. In verse seven, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I picture him, I don't know, does he have uh, notes that he's written down? Does he have some sort of scripture that the prophets have given, whatever, but he's, he's looking at something, he's being reminded that the word of the Lord isn't just out there in space. It's not just, hey, God exists, figure it out, that he actually makes things personal. That he provides instruction and understanding of who he is specifically. That's special. That he speaks to us. I mean, today we have this whole Bible that you go, oh, when I read this, the law of the Lord is perfect. And he's going to make some statements here that I think are really important for us as we move into this next year and we're thinking about what's coming. The law of the Lord is perfect. Why? It revives the soul. Oh man, do we need revival for our souls. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives, reviving the soul. We contemplate the law of the Lord and its perfection. Why is it perfect? Because it's coming from the perfect God who created us and knows what we need. Which means that as the created thing is doing what it was designed to do as a created being, and then our soul will magnify that and we will bring more glory to the Lord. It's perfect. It revives our soul. You know what? Think about in, I mean, it could have been yesterday for all I know, but sometime here in this past year where you're just overwhelmed with what's going on, and for some reason, we do this as human beings, even as Christ followers, right? It's like we've tried everything, nothing seems to be working, and then finally we go, oh, why am I not reading the Word? And you open the Word, and you begin to read, and you realize that your soul is beginning to get refreshed. There's a reviving that's happening. It's almost as if like we've suppressed that for if I'm staying in the poetic realm, right? And then the Word, the law just pours out and we're like, oh yeah, this is why I'm feeling this way. The law of the Lord revives the soul. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know how complex we make things? Here's why complexity exists in our world. It usually comes down to I want it my way, when I want it, how I want it, exactly when I want it. That's complex. And then we take that complexity and those desires and we place them on everybody else. And then you didn't meet my expectations, so now I'm disappointed. And that person didn't meet my expectation, and now I'm disappointed. But here's what's crazy. We never think of it this way. I didn't meet their expectation at the same time. So now we have all these unmet expectations, right? Everybody's got them. You've got them, I've got them. And so we place those on each other. We place those on even the Lord. I expected you to move this way and you didn't. Some of you were like, I expected snow. It didn't happen. Lord, you didn't move, right? The way that I was expecting you to. I had to come to church because I didn't have an excuse to have snow. So here we've got all of this stuff. It's, it's just, it, it, it kind of, it overwhelms us. And then we, we, we make everything so complex. And in the midst of all of that complexity, it says the, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We get, 
It, it's fascinating how when we overanalyze and, and make things so complex that the Lord actually looks at us and goes, why are you thinking so simply? We're like, no, I'm not thinking simply, I'm thinking profound, no. Wisdom comes when we're looking at this testimony of the Lord. It's, it's the, the simplicity of life comes when we're reminded of who we are and whose we are. When the gospel, the testimony of God is spoken to us, it sounds so simplistic, yet it's so profound. That's why you say you can study the gospel your entire life and never fully grasp it in any way whatsoever, right? As best we can. Yet a child can understand it. It's, we call it, we always use the word simple profundity, right? It's so profound, but so simple. The testimony of the Lord, the, the gospel, it, it makes things so simple. It reminds us that we're dirty, rotten sinners who need a Savior. And if we pre- profess our faith in Jesus, then we have one. So then, even in the midst of the complexity, the simplicity of the gospel says, well, one of the reasons that you're, that you're experiencing this is because of the choice that you made yesterday. Don't make that choice anymore. God, why am I experiencing the ramifications of this? Well, because the gospel says don't do that and we did it. And now there's more complexity in my life. Did you know that simplicity is actually a discipline? It, the, the, the idea that our life would be simple. As Americans, we almost fight that. I don't want a simple life. But spiritually, we long for it. I, I, I explain it this way because I hope it makes sense maybe even more. As Christ followers, we are constantly praying two things, or we're supposed to be. Well, three. One, the glory of the Lord. But the other thing that we're praying is, Lord, come back. <laughs> like we long for that. Why do we long for that? Because we want to be removed from the pains of the world that we're experiencing and that we're a part of, and we want to be with the one that's perfect in the place that we've been created to be. There's this longing in our heart to go back to what Adam and Eve had at the beginning in that relationship with the Father, where it was simple, it was perfect, it was We've talked about this, shalom. Everything's in perfect working harmony. The joy of the Lord is always, it's, there's no sin. We long for that, we long for that simplicity. We were to pray that Lord, come back, come back quickly so that we can be with you. I, you know, whether we call it heaven or whatever, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's being in the presence of Jesus. For eternity and the other thing that we have to pray is but as you tarry help us to live a life that is glorifying to you and magnifies you and is obedient to what you've called us to do and focuses solely on you and that's so hard to do in a world that is constantly pushing us toward other things
Our, our souls long for simplicity, but we don't live in a simple world. Jesus said that his burden is light, and most of us don't feel light in burden. Why? Because we make things so complex. Sometimes when things feel overwhelming or complex, we just need to come back to the simple testimony of who Jesus is and what He's done. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Your heart has the ability and should be constantly in joy. We talk about joy a lot. We defined it recently as we went through our Christmas series, right? It's attitude of gratitude regardless of circumstance. But the act of rejoicing is kind of the outward feeling expression of the joy that is internally there. It becomes this, this action word. Rejoicing is what's coming out. It's, it says that our heart has the ability to be full of joy so that it's at the point where it's experiencing this action of rejoicing. No matter what's happening around us, the heart has this ability to rejoice in the Lord, to be excited about understanding who He is. The precepts of the Lord are right. We know that when God says it, it's correct and true. There's rejoicing in that. I think one of the reasons from a practical standpoint that this is so important is because we're constantly trying to figure it out. It's like, the complexity and the difficulties in my life aren't typically for me trying to figure out what God said. It's believing that what He said is right. Is that fair? I mean, the Scripture will tell us how to live. It's written down. It's not difficult to, to actually figure out, but it's very complex to do. Right? It, as, as individuals, we know this. Paul said this, the Apostle Paul. The things I don't want to do, I'm constantly doing. And, he's, and I'm like, why? Why do we do that? Like, I do the same thing. How many times have you said, I'm going to stop doing that, and then you find yourself doing it again? I'm going to stop thinking that way. I'm going to be joyful. Whatever it is, it could be something very simple, it could be something very deep. But we... We don't... The question isn't what God... You know, I, I think we spend so much time, I'm trying to discern the will of the Lord. And oftentimes when people come and say, I'm trying to discern God's will. And I'm like, okay, how much time are you in prayer and, and scripture? And they'll say very little. And I'm like, it's gonna be very difficult to discern God's will. Because what are you listening to to discern it? Right? He's written it down. Or, you know, I used to pastor this huge church in California, and so there's just tons of people. I didn't know everybody, and people would come up and they would be like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to determine if the Lord wants me to evangelize or have a conversation with my neighbor. And I'm like, you're praying about that? Why? It already says to do it. Like, I, I think as you, so for those of you who don't have children yet, you get to this point where you're like, I tell my children, don't do this, or you should do this, and it'll make your life easier. Now, I remember my parents telling me those things, and in my mind, I'm going, you don't know what you're talking about, so I'm gonna do it my own way anyway, right? And I often think of that when I'm thinking about my own life, and I'm 
being critical of myself or whatever it is, that the Lord's going, I've told you so many things to do. Why are you questioning whether you should do them or not? Like, it's right there. Should I be evangelistic? Yes. Should I talk to my friends about Jesus? Yes. Here, I'm going to give you, you don't have to pray about those things. You can pray about getting the courage to do it. You can pray about having the grace that's needed. You can pray about, Lord, give me the words to speak. But whether or not you're supposed to share the gospel with somebody else, that's not, I mean, if you're praying, that's an excuse, right? Because he's already said to do it. This is, when he speaks it, it's truth, and it never changes. That allows us joy because we don't have to figure it out. Joy is typically removed for me. I find myself in moments where I'm not, gra- great, I'm not being grateful when I'm trying to either do it my way or I want it my way or I'm going, I know what you said, but I don't really like it. It says that when we're looking at the precepts of the Lord because they're right, and we don't have to question which ones are wrong, they're all right, it allows our heart to rejoice because we're not without instruction. We're not without truth. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Love that. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Why does the Lord give commands? Because he's this mean guy who wants you to have no fun. That's what I thought, right, when I was a kid. Why does the Lord give commands? The Lord gives commands because he wants what's best for us. The Lord gives commands because he's created us and knows how we function. He's, I I love, I think that oftentimes from a sin-cursed body, we actually, even if we don't say it out loud, we can think, man, the Lord's holding out on me. Or have you done this one? God, if you would just do this, if you would just move this way, if you would just do it how I need it done, if you could just tweak this one thing, right? Commandment of the Lord is pure. We know that God is good, which means what he says is good. When he commands us to do something, it's for our benefit, not for our destruction. You know that God's for you, right? In Christ, God's for you. He wants you to live a life that is most glorifying to Jesus and most filled with joy. That's actually being a disciple. People ask, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? How do we know if we're making disciples? What does a disciple look like? Here's a disciple. You know that you're following Jesus. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. If your desire is to glorify him and your ultimate end is your joy in his glory. That's a disciple. But we can bank on his commands because they're pure. And it says it enlightens the eyes. You want true enlightenment? Look at the Lord's commands. It's pretty cool. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
the word fear here, there's fears used several ways in scripture. The first one is how we would normally translate fear. And that would be, I have this, um, I'm petrified of something. I'm, I'm quaking. I'm, it could be, I don't know what you're afraid of. I'll tell you, don't mess with me with this. It won't go well. I don't like snakes. I've told people that in the past, and they're like, oh, I'm gonna do a play a joke on Kevin and put a rubber snake on his, and you won't like what, the response. I do not like snakes. I believe it's biblical. We can go to Genesis chapter three. I don't like snakes. I would rather face a bear, okay? So uh, I, I am afraid. I, Christy has stories of us hiking, and I thought I saw a snake, and I would freeze because I just don't like them. I've gotten better. I can walk in the zoo when they're behind the cage and at least walk by now. That's not the fear we're talking about. That's an unhealthy fear. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Some of you are afraid of the dark. Some of you are afraid of being alone. Some of you are, I, I don't know what your fears are. Some of you are afraid of the ocean. Some of you are afraid of water, right? So you have these fear, heights, whatever it is. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them are natural, right? Sometimes we say we gotta overcome our fear. I actually, like people don't believe me, I actually have a fear of heights but it's one of the fears that I can actually talk myself into overcoming. So I can walk on the glass ceilings, whereas other people who don't have fear, of it's just something I've, I can work up. You can't always work up to, to solve every fear. I am never gonna hold a snake. So, but, so you have these fears, they can be healthy, they can be unhealthy, whatever. That's not the fear that's being referenced here. The fear that's, this is being talked about, that's being talked about here is a, a fear in pure respect. It's the fear that we're supposed to have for our earthly father, not because of their flaws, but because of who they are. That's my dad. Yeah, he has, he's stronger than me, but he's wiser than me. He's lived longer than me. And I have this respect for who he is. Unfortunately, just like me, I'm a father and I've made my mistakes, right? It's hard to compare God the Father to our earthly fathers because God the Father never sins and is always good. We just sang about that. But we're supposed to have the fear of the Lord is this pure respect in who he is. We know what he's capable of. We don't fear what he's capable of because we have Jesus. But I fear what people who don't know Christ are going to experience because I know what separation from God looks like, and even in my imagination, I fear that. And it comes from a fear, a healthy fear of who God is. We tie all these things together. He says, if you don't know Jesus, you'll be separated from me from eternity. Well, that's a command, that's a law, that's perfect and pure. We know that because he said it but we also fear it because he's capable of it. There's a, a healthy respect. We were talking not that long ago, I, I can't, maybe it was even last night, we were with a, another church planter in Weymouth and we were talking about different cathedrals that we were driving by and how, you know, high church, you can walk into some of these cathedrals and it just feels, like you have that weird, like it feels holy in here, right? Nothing wrong with that. 
it, it can feel that way. Like you're just overwhelmed by the magnitude and there's this, it feels like you walk in and there's like a respect that comes immediately, right? I always laugh if you watch like mafia movies, even the mafia has a certain respect <laughs> for certain things, right? There's a fear there. And it's not that they're afraid, but maybe they are. We're to have a healthy respect for who God is because of who he is. Sometimes we need to tremble before God. God handles people differently in different circumstances. If you remember, you read the book of Isaiah and we have Isaiah transported to the throne room of God. And this is gonna be one of Isaiah's calls for the ministry that the Lord has for him. And he brings him into the throne room and Isaiah does what? He trembles. He's looking at the scene that's around him. Isaiah chapter six, you can read it. There's beings flying around. God's on his throne. The train of his robe is filling the temple. It, the scene is, I don't, it's very difficult to visualize and I'm a visualizer. It, it, reading some of the things you just go, I don't even know how to process what I'm reading. What was the point? Why did God grab Isaiah and bring him to the throne room of God? Well, I'll tell you why. If you look at Isaiah's history, he grew up in a wealthy family. He was a little bit prideful. He thought he could do everything. And so what did the Lord do? He brought him to his throne room and went, humble yourself before me. And what does Isaiah do? He hits his knees. And when the call comes, who will we send? He says, send me. He then we have a call from like Jeremiah who grew up in different situation. He didn't have an issue with pride. He actually had an issue with confidence. And the Lord at one point actually tells Jeremiah, get up off your knees and quit praying and get to work. Two different individuals needing two different things from the Lord, but both a fear and respect used differently. Sometimes we need to tremble before the Lord. Sometimes we need to trust him enough to act. It's, but that fear of the Lord, it says, is enduring forever. There's always going to be this thing. It motivates us. It's beautiful. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You can never go wrong by following Scripture. Ever. You can never go wrong by following what Scripture says. We can mess up what Scripture says. We can perform it poorly. <laughs> you can, it's never wrong for following Scripture. Verse 10, Moreover, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. This is, for me, this is simple. Do we value the word of the Lord? All these things that were written here in this kind of descriptive? What if somebody said, you can never read your Bible again? I've learned that 
over time, we've, we, we, we can recognize the things we value the most by realizing what we're afraid to lose the most. And when David is describing the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord, the ability that we have to understand it through the Holy Spirit and live it by His grace, is that what we really desire? Like, could this be written? Like, think of 2023. Could this be written about you? Man, I desired my fellowship with the Lord more than anything else. It was like, I don't know. So if I, I'm, I'm assuming David's a foodie because that's what he's describing it to, right? So I don't know what it is for you. But it's like that perfect thing when it hits your mouth and it just hits right. Is that what it tastes like? It's interesting how often like food and descriptives like that are described, but it's... We're called in Scripture to come and taste the goodness of the Lord, to see it, to experience it in every way possible, and the value of that is supposed to be overwhelming to us. I used to, when I was in youth ministry, I used to ask the students, like, if you could have heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you take it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Is it Jesus that we're desiring or is it the things of Jesus? Is it Jesus we're desiring or the vending machine that sometimes we treat him to be? Imagine, like, pray this this year. Just take a challenge for me. I'll double dog dare you, okay? Pray, Lord, would you, would you give me the grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to desire your word like it's described here? Watch what he does. We get through this. We're almost done. We have some response. This is the practical end of this, right? It's David, he's overwhelmed by creation. He's like, oh, this is unreal. He's overwhelmed by God's truth and how it impacts his life. And just like everything, anytime we come in contact with Scripture, anytime we come in contact with the Father, anytime we come in contact with Jesus, anytime there's this moment, there's something that's supposed to transpire in us. And for David, once again, it comes back to very simple things because that's what it should be. And he begins with a question. Who can discern his errors? Who can discern his errors? What is he asking? He's not asking God, because God has no error. He's asking himself. The question he's asking himself is, how do I even know when I'm really blowing it? If I were gonna phrase this question, I would probably phrase it this way just because the way my mind works. If sin is deceptive, how do you know when you're actually involved in it? It's deceptive. By its nature, it's deceptive. It's hard. Sometimes it's very clear cut. Sometimes it's not. He, what David is asking is he's saying, I'm realizing that when I compare myself to the perfection of creation, I compare myself to the perfection of who God is, and I compare myself 
to the way that I'm supposed to be living and not, I realize that I'm much worse off than I even want to think about. Uh, this is a moment, I guess, of David questioning his own depravity. He's realizing that he's, he's sinning constantly and he doesn't even know it. It's so deceptive. These are those moments where like, you actually, <laughs> I'm so grateful people can't see my thoughts. I, hopefully you are too, right? Because what we think may not come out of our mouth, but when you process the way that you think, if you literally sat back and just thought about your thoughts, you would be overwhelmed with how bad you really are. Right? I didn't say it to that person, but what, what went on inside of me, I just murdered them in my heart. <laughs> right? Like, this is an evaluation of self. You guys can look at each other and you can look at me and you're gonna see me make mistakes and you're gonna see me do things and you're gonna be like, ah, you shouldn't have done that and hopefully I'm repentive of it. And hopefully that's all of us. There's certain things that we can view in each other's lives and go, oh, not, nah, based on what I'm, that's not probably a great idea. Let's try to make some changes here and help each other and so on and so forth. That's what the body does. We, hopefully we all have this desire to continue to grow and we know we're not there yet. But then there's this deception that lives inside of us where if we really analyze it, we know that we're much worse than we're presenting. We know that there's these dark places in our hearts that maybe nobody will see, but we know they exist. And it's fascinating because in this moment, in this question, David's realizing this. How do you get to this point? You only get to this point when you compare yourself to something that's incomparable, right? Like, he, we can't compare ourselves to the Lord. He's perfect. Everything he says is perfect. Everything I say is not. Everything you say is not. So in every way, when we compare ourselves to him, then it, we realize what our true thoughts, intentions, internal desires are. And that's important. It's important for us to understand that about ourselves. It's important to understand the positive component of this is this what keeps us leaning into the gospel. This is what helps us understand the actual cost that was paid for us to be redeemed. Because a lot of times we can say, I'm really not that bad. And what we're doing when we say that is we're comparing ourselves, our actions to the actions of someone else. But internally, just because you didn't act on it doesn't mean you weren't wanting to or thought the same thing, right? We, we understand it. Who can discern his errors? So David throws up some prayers here. First, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. What are these things? These are the sins that you've committed that you don't even know that you've committed. I mean, if you've ever tried to step back and, and say, okay, tonight I'm gonna pray and ask the Lord to forgive me for every single sin that I committed today, you're never gonna get them all. Because I don't even remember thinking of something bad that I shouldn't have thought about. I don't 
I don't remember processing things in my dream. Half the time, I'm getting old, I don't even remember my dream when I wake up. David is literally going, I'm so sinful to the core that I actually sin and don't even remember that I've sinned. Like, well, I didn't kill anybody today. Great. But there's things that go on in my heart, in my mind, in my life, my desires. My desires aren't always holy. My, my feelings aren't always correct. My desire to bring glory to Jesus isn't always where it should be. We, it's, there's certain motivations that we think might be pure, but then when we really dive in, we begin to question. And so he's saying, listen, I, Lord, I, I realize that I'm actually understand myself in my sin-cursed nature enough to say, I know I've done things that I don't even know that I've done. Will you forgive me for those? Now, there's heaviness to that, but let me explain this, the, the beauty of this. In Christ, you're forgiven. It's not necessary that you pray that for forgiveness. It's necessary that you pray that so that we understand who we are and the value of the gospel in our life. That even when I feel like I'm living a good life, I know what's truly going on here. So David recognizes that. He's coming in contact with his own depravity by comparing himself to what he sees and what he hears. Then he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. What are presumptuous sins? These are the sins we just willingly commit. These are the ones where you actually might even think through it. These are the ones where you, I mean, and maybe you didn't think through it, but you realize that you've done it. These aren't hidden. These are things like, I made a choice. I, and I love the prayer here because what he's saying is I'm going to continue to probably make sinful choices because I'm a sin-cursed body, sin-cursed world, but let them not have dominion over me. Now, here's what's so crazy about that specific prayer. We don't have the ability to let that happen outside of Christ. We try. Before you knew Jesus, you attempted to make some changes in your life. It didn't seem to go because the problem was you can sometimes change behavior, but you can't change what's here. Only Jesus can do that. So the beauty of it is knowing that in Christ, we actually have the ability and can pray, Lord, don't let these things take dominion over me. Let me swing this back around. Don't let my issues, my sin, my humanistic desires steal your glory. Don't let those things become so weighty in my life that those are the things that control me instead of you. You could ask this in a million different ways. You could say, what idols are in my life? What do I struggle with? What is it that I'm making choices for? But he's saying, Lord, please don't, don't let those have dominion over me. Then I shall blame us in innocent of great transgression. And we get to the last verse. And I'm not going to talk a lot about this because I, I think it's going to make perfect sense as we've talked through all of this. Let the words of my mouth, I'm speaking. 
meditations of my heart, what I'm thinking. Be acceptable in, oh, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, Creator, my rock, acknowledging you as my foundation, my Redeemer, acknowledging Jesus as my Savior. This is a great prayer for 2024. Let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my foundation, thing that never changes, my Redeemer, my Savior, the one that makes it even possible. I end with this. That prayer is a privilege. That prayer is a birthright in Christ. That prayer is not something that every single person can pray because if they don't know Christ, they don't even have the ability to pray it. You get to. You get to pray it. We get to come to the same conclusion that David came to in those moments. This is what happens. We, if 2024 is going to be anything for us as Christ followers throughout the world, this should be it. Lord, and everything in me, because of who you are and because you're the most glorious thing and because you have saved me in the person of Jesus, let my life reflect him well. Let the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And may I declare consistently that you are God, that you are my foundation, and that you are my Savior. Dream with me for a second. Like, what would it look like if every Christ fall on the planet played, prayed that this year? Is, it gonna, is the world going to get perfect? No. Are you going to still make mistakes? Yes. But something's going to change. The words of my mouth. Just imagine that one. Meditations of my heart. The worry. It's gone. The desire to bring glory to Jesus in all that we do. Whatever 2024 holds, whatever regrets you have in 2023, whatever joys you have, whatever 2024 holds, whatever changes come, whatever joys come, whatever, however God chooses to lift you up and use you, whatever, the hurt, all the things that 2024 is going to bring. This needs to be the prayer of our heart. That regardless of the circumstance, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you so that I'm declaring constantly that you are Lord, you are the rock, and you are my redeemer. And I will say that that could build for a pretty good year. Every week we take communion. We're reminded of the price that Jesus paid for us to be able to pray this prayer. My, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's done in your heart. Maybe like David, you're going, who can discern? Maybe you need some time to think about, man, I need to really just come in contact with my own depravity a little better this year. Or maybe you're going, I need to celebrate more. Or maybe you're going, I need to just pray these things. I need to see God in, in, in my life more. I need to see Him glorified more, whatever it is. But the reality is none of that happens without the price that Jesus paid for us. And so we're reminded of that, but take some time to celebrate. 
Like these are difficult elements to look at at times because of what they represent, but they also represent your joy. Celebrate the fact that you're not stuck. That we don't, we're not in Christ, you're not in a position to go, I'm realizing my own depravity and I can't do anything about it. You're saved, you're redeemed, you're loved, you have a purpose, He has a plan. You have the ability to bring glory to Jesus. You have the ability to recognize and change. All because of what these elements represent. Let's, let's run into this year with that knowledge and that desire. God, thanks for your word. Thank you for your creation. I thank you for your rules, your commands, your love for us, the fact that you reveal yourself to us in real and practical ways. We thank you that we can come to you however we are. We also thank you that you don't leave us that way. Lord, as we process the past and we think about the future, we ask that our lives would be a desire and grounded in the desire to bring you glory. Lord, we pray that you would be the weightiest thing in our life. We pray that we would not give in to sins that would take control of us and cause us to forget. We pray that we would have moments this year of overwhelming smallness in your presence. We pray that we'd have moments of wonder in your creation. We pray that the beauty that you express would be enjoyed. We ask, Lord, that you would create in us a healthy fear of who you are, that we would respect you. Lord, reveal to us the areas that we can't see. Grow us, mold us, cause us to apply the gospel in every one of those situations. Lord, may we not be overwhelmed by our sin and the guilt of our sin, but be reminded consistently that we have been forgiven and that we, any moment we have repentance. And lastly, Lord, I would just pray that at the forefront of our minds and our hearts, through the power of the gospel, that we would be reminded that every single morning is new in you. So Lord, may we live that way. We love you. We're grateful for you. Lord, help us glorify you in all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.